East of Idyllic Barata, northwest of Acapulco, lies this little fishing village. Known for its idyllic beaches, it's a spot you might want to visit or holiday, maybe even one you'd want to retire to, or just escape, even a place to end a movie. Zewat Nail. Zewat is what the locals call it. You can hop right out of MSP and be on the beach in roughly five hours. Assuming you clear customs, some of you, I wonder. Never insult your audience. Never, ever. Blue water, warm sand, the temp, anywhere from a frigid 67 to a balmy 89. My friend Betsy counts it as a favorite place, and I quote, When I think of Zewat, my time there, I think of slowing down, beauty, warmth, vibrancy, authenticity. It's a place to just be. Makes you kind of want to go, doesn't it? I actually heard a rumor. Betsy is willing to take anyone who is a new volunteer <laughs> with the children's ministry. I heard this rumor. In fact, I've heard it more than once. To Zewat, next time she goes. I haven't been able to confirm the rumor, but it might be worth checking out. And even if it's not, imagine being able to volunteer with Betsy. It'd be almost like being in Zewat. What do you think of movie endings? What do you like in your movie endings? You like nice and tight and needy, good guy wins, good guy loses, good gal wins, good gal loses, a little of both. Two weeks ago, last week, into this week, we, we have this big idea, right? This, this idea that kind of forms this centerpiece of how Paul expresses his beliefs, his theological convictions, the basis for his hope. Page 973, Galatians, verse 17, chapter 2. But if, now again, Paul's providing kind of a defense, right? A reason why he's, he's being in this space. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, true statement, right? Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebelled what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not dullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In Christ, but if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, to be sure, this two-word phrase is about as gooey as it gets. Because it's not like you can physically inhabit inside of another living entity, right? It's, it's not like you're literally walking into a home and saying, I'm in home, in my home. To be in Christ. In part, I want us to hold the tension of something that Paul tells us is clearly possible. And with a clear understanding, he says that it's possible. The tension being, right, it might be hard to clearly understand. But as we said a few weeks ago, 
Just because it can be hard to understand doesn't mean that it can't be experienced. If you look at these few verses and scratch your head, you're in good company. But great minds offer something like this. I've got the right blood, but the right blood doesn't make any difference. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about justification for the first time. Last name just, we knew it was a good word. The right last name. I was joking, obviously. I was joking. Well, maybe not totally, but mostly. The right bud, the right last name. Doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference at all in wanting to be right with God. What makes the difference is Jesus. In essence, Paul is asking the question in the first couple cryptic verses, are we justified by Christ or are we justified by the law, the Torah, the Old Testament, first five books? If, if justified by Christ, then the law says that you are a sinner. So does that make Christ a sinner? No, no. In fact, Christ was the only true and pure human. He was sinless, which is something I will never ever claim, nor will anyone who knows me use to describe me. What Paul argues for is that the Torah can't do it. Only Jesus can do it because he did it. He fulfilled the law perfectly. De Silva argues for some irony here. The transgressor, which is a word that would have typically been used to mean someone who violates the law, is now describing the type of person who is attempting to live by the law. Paul is making the argument against Peter, saying you can't go back. Furthermore, if you want to engage in this type of behavior of going back to the law after it's been stated that Christ is how we are justified, it's not just a case of not being a transgressor, but rather proving you're a transgressor because we're rejecting the only way that we can be justified. Like I said, it's a head-scratcher. But think of it like this, okay? If the premise for a given outcome is faulty, then the outcome is faulty, okay? Think of it, illegal search and seizure, okay? You seize the evidence, you do so illegally, the Fourth Amendment says it gets kicked out, okay? The premise, okay? If, um, say you have a situation where, say you're mad at me because I hit you, in my car, I smashed, hit your car, and you're mad at me because I hit your car. And I'm like, yeah, but you're the one that ran the stoplight. See what I'm saying? If, if the premise, okay, if, if, if what we're dealing with over, but if the premise, okay, or, or someone who's a, a victim of sexual assault, some people would say, well, she was in the wrong spot. She wore the wrong clothes. And I would say, but wait a second. Isn't it the offending male who didn't possess a high enough view of women being created in the image of God that resulted in this horrible thing happening? But Paul is attempting to explain that, that if, 
if we've said that the law no longer works, that it's been fulfilled in Christ, if we said that Christ works, then if someone over here is saying, oh, you're not following the law, no, because I'm in relationship with Christ. The centrality of Jesus is the argument that Paul is making. The importance of Jesus. The ability that any of us have to stand before a holy God is wholly dependent on Jesus. Our faith in Christ. Verse 19 moves forward. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. You'll be the death of me. It's a mom saying, right? John, your behavior, it will be the death of me. You may be confident that that was a hypothetical. You can be even more confident that it wasn't a hypothetical. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. You'll be the death of me. I have been crucified with Christ. The imagery is both startling and not something that we really desire. Death, and not only death, but death by crucifixion. It's a metaphor for most, although for Peter it wasn't, if we take church legend slash history as accurate. And there are actually some actors in the world today that will embrace being crucified, even though they do not die. Uh, and an individual from the Philippines, a Roman N age, was crucified 34 times every year from the early 80s to 2020. It's not what the text is talking about. What it's talking about is a metaphor for what the cross represents. It's what identity with Jesus Christ looks like. It's the cruciform life, the cross-shaped life. A life that says, I am willing to die the death of me to live for what God wants. And what God wants is not some willy-nilly list for us to do so that we can feel better about ourselves. I bumped into folks who claim God wants all sorts of dubious things for their life. God wants me to be happy. I'm going to divorce my spouse. Okay, great. No. Likewise, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should do that thing. The list, the behavior is an honest exploration of what is the Spirit of God asking me to do. That I can move from what I want, the death of me, to what the Spirit wants to live in Christ. And that same idea is still in place for us today. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Paul reflects the simple conclusion of the person who has been saved by another from something horrible. In essence, Paul is saying to Jesus, something that we can say to Jesus, you did this for me, you died for me, and I will live extraordinarily for you. I'm not going to live for me. I'm going to live because of you, by faith in you. And we might add to it. We don't know all of the twists and turns of what a life lived for Christ looks like. And we don't have to. Paul knew the weight of trying to do it on his own. Paul knew the weight of trying to be good enough, trying to be smart enough, try to study hard enough, try to work hard enough. Paul knew the weight. And if you've ever been there, if you know the weight of trying to do life on your own, and then when you get to the point that you realize you can't, that there's something missing, I mean, especially for us guys, it is absolutely brutal to work so, so hard, try to accomplish so much, and then realize, I can't work hard enough. I can't accomplish enough. There's, there's something missing. And, and we see examples of it all over. Humans that blow through marriages and relationships read an article last night in the sauna about this one cat, multi-billionaire, okay? You could base the movie, the, the TV show Succession on his life. Burned through like five or six wives. <laughs> what are you searching for, man? What, what are you looking for? Because a billion dollars isn't enough. It, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. Another car in your garage won't be enough. It won't be enough. One more, oh, I'm all excited. One more thing to add to the stable of goodness that you, it won't be enough. Paul's like, it can't be, it won't be enough. It won't. Living by faith in Jesus, responding to his love and to the gift that he offers. And please understand, even after Paul comes to faith in Jesus, he could still be a little rough around the edges. I mean, he could literally be a cantankerous SOB. But his existence had found new meaning by faith. He found the compelling sacrifice of Jesus worthy of his absolute best reciprocation. And even though what he offered back to Christ, his life, wasn't of equal value, it didn't matter. He was going to reciprocate. It, it was truly a heart response. And what we've talked about over the last few weeks, justification is not just about being forgiven, although it is that. It is being able to truly die and truly live and live in such a way that reflects the gratitude even a gracious sense of indebtedness. I feel a sense of indebtedness because of what Christ did for me. I feel an obligation, not that I somehow impress God, but, but I want to reciprocate. I mean, and we have examples of this in our lives, right? 
individuals that have done something extraordinary. No way to repay them, but you're like, wow, I want to live differently in light of that. Paul is arguing it is the the truest expression of God's grace in our life. To live for Christ. Can I ask you some hard questions? You can say no if you want. If you say no, the sermon's over. Have you died? Have you, have you died? Have, have I died? Are you living? Second hard question, right? Well, actually, it'd be questions three through five. How do you respond? And I know in offering these questions, Some of us who are skeptical in our souls will say things like, well, all you want is... I'm like, no. No, I don't want anything from you. I'm not going to ask for a single thing from you. What I want for myself is to live in a gracious way in response to the God who saved me, to the Savior who died for me, to a spirit-enabled life. And so I give of my time. I give time, ticks on the clock, to God. I give of the financial resources that God has entrusted to me, and I give that back to God. It's, it's, It's a portion of what he's given me, I don't write out many checks in a given month. Order of checks lasts me two years. But a check that I consistently write out is to God. And I give at a level that forces me to make a decision. I don't get to do this. I want to do this. And I want to give that to God. And I give of my ability. I I think God has enabled all of us to do things. God has gifted us to do unique things in whatever sphere of influence in which we operate. And so I want to give to God the gift that He has given me. And so I turn the questions on you. When was the last time that you gave generously of your time to God? 
When was the last time you gave generously of your finances to God? When was the last time you gave generously of your ability to God? This is a generous God who makes a generous offer. And how could a grateful person do anything but respond to that? Zewatneo was a pretty sleepy town. Hmm? Trying to get my Kindle to come on. Kindle's not working. It's really not working. It's super embarrassing. Oh, we still got time. Zewat was a pretty sleepy town until a Stephen King novella, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, was made into the movie. The, the book gets to this crisis moment, right? Red, okay, is in the Brewster Hotel, okay? He writes, technically a fugitive from justice again. Parole violation is my crime. No one's going to throw up any roadblocks to catch a criminal wanted on that charge. I guess I'm wondering what I should do now. I have this manuscript wondering what I should do. But really, there's no question. It always comes down to two choices, Red writes. Get busy living or get busy dying. First, I'm going to put this manuscript back in my bag. Then I'm going to go buckle up, grab my coat, go downstairs, check out of this flea bag motel. Then I'm going to walk downtown to a bar and put that $5 bill down in front of a bartender and ask him to bring me two shots of Jack Daniels, one for me and one for Andy Dufresne. Then I'm going to tip the bartender a dollar and thank him kindly. I'm going to leave the bar, walk up Spring Street to the Greyhound Station and buy a bus ticket to El Paso by way of New York City. When I get to El Paso, I'm going to buy a ticket to McNary. When I get to McNary, I guess I'll have a chance to find out if an old crook like me can find a way to float across the border into Mexico. Sure, I remember the name, Zihuatanejo. A name like that is just too pretty to forget. I'm excited, so excited, I can hardly hold the pencil in my trembling hand. I think it is the excitement that only a free man can feel, a free man starting a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope Andy is down there. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Get busy living or get busy dying. Why not both? Someone has quoted the great theologian, J.M. Just. (laughs) Very humble. (laughs) What do we need to die to, right? Why not die? I just say this to myself. John, why not die to the anger and the arrogance and the self-pity and the doubt and the disbelief? The sense of for what? The past? 
Why not die to that? And why not live to the hope to which Jesus has not only invited me, has invited us, but has paved the way? Fully present. Safety and hope and grace and peace and salvation and justification. Why not both? Why not? Please pray with me. Father, I love being here. Allow us to die. Allow us to live. Allow us to die to the addiction. Maybe even ask that right now, right? A miracle? Let me die to the addiction. Let me die to my past self. Let me live. Understanding that I've been crucified with Christ. That I can live by faith in Christ. And if you want to know how that starts, it starts by us asking the Holy Spirit, let us live in faith, by faith, in Christ.